journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavuot Tov, Shavuot Tov to everybody out there. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Um, we are still at war in the Middle East and our prayers and our our love and our strength is going to all the soldiers, all the wounded, all the captives and all the people in Israel. And as always, we will dedicate this learning of Torah to their protection and to their success. We are going to be transversing the Bible because the Bible is what it's all about. And honestly, um, to say that if we actually like looked at uh, what is happening today, if we understood the Bible, if we understood what Torah was actually teaching us, we'd understand in truth what this conflict is all about. But I'm not going to start giving you a political discussion, have a political discussion right now. We are going to learn hardcore, authentic, real Torah. So that for those of you that follow inside and are sitting in the comfort of your, your chair right now, we are on chapter 11 of the book of Exodus, of the book of Shemot. We are in Parashat Bo. We are going to start chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. And uh, we are coming to quite an exciting and quite dramatic point right now. Because we have concluded nine plagues um, that affected the Egyptians and slowly wore down. They're understanding that it's not their power. It is not um, their intelligence. It is not their know-how um, that made them great, but rather God's. And that was really the purpose of all of these plagues, was to wear down, break down um, the human psyche to understand that there is a power, a power called God, and that God runs the world. Something very comforting, I think, in just that thought, that today we are looking again at the battle of civilizations, um, at the battle of what people believe to be power, to be force, um, you know, to have influence. And at the end of the day, um, if one does take a step back, um, one can see that there isn't a lot of discussion about God in any of this. And um, if we did insert this theology into what we are thinking about, then it would be a completely different world. In fact, I'll go as far as to say that if we did act godlike, you wouldn't have seen the barbarism, the, the heinous crimes um, against humanity that we have witnessed in the last um, the last month particularly. <clears throat> right, so let's go and see now what is the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, when it comes to the Egyptians. Everybody knows that there would be a tenth plague. We're not going to go exactly to the tenth plague. We're going to go through the warnings before it and to understand what was being said and what was done. For context, um, uh, Moses finishes up with Pharaoh um, after the ninth plague, and um, he's, uh, Pharaoh is trying to negotiate with him just to let a few people go, not to let the camels, the, the, the livestock to go. Moses says, I'm not negotiable. We are all going. We're leaving lock, stock, and barrel with everything. And um, Paroi throws a tantrum, and he says, leave my presence and be careful not to see my face again. And for the day that you see my face, you will die. And Moses replies, as you say, I will not see your face again, which is in fact true. 
But where we're going to pick up now was that before Moses walks out, he does get a revelation from God, a very, very different one. And we're going to discuss this after the break. Um, and he gives one final message to Pharaoh before he takes leave. If you're wanting to join this conversation, you've got a question or you've got a comment, 34519 is our SMS line, 0618951019 is our telegram number. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Okay, let's look in chapter, verse 1 of chapter 11. Avi After that, Talking about Paro, he will let you leave there. And when he lets you go, he will expel you completely. Speak this in the ears of the nation. So that each should go um, and, and uh, speak one man to each other. The Isham Etruata, one man with man and one woman with her friend. Clay, Keset, Clay, Zahab, they should ask. The Egyptians to borrow um, from 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 them um, gold and silver jewelry. <clears throat> now this is a fascinating um, uh, two lines because there's a lot of very interesting nuances that 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 is around. Okay, the first question is is to why does God say to Moshe? First of all, let's put it again in context. God is speaking to Moshe now. In the palace of Pharaoh, at night, very interestingly. Now, there were two, this is an exception to the rule, because all other communications with Moses were always outside the palace of Pharaoh. Why? Because the palace of Pharaoh was full of, um, idolatrous, um, uh, idols and idolatrous worship, and therefore was not a holy place in order to receive communication from God. The exception is being made now. That's number one. And number two, it was at night. Most of communication came to, to Moses during the day. But because there is this understanding with Pharaoh that says, get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. The next time I see you, I'll chop your head off. And Moses is going, that's right, my fellow. You ain't going to be seeing me again. God appears to Moshe Rabbeinu in the palace just before he takes his leave to tell him that he needs to tell the people um, um, in, in the palace that there is one more plague com- um, coming. Now, as soon as God said these words, Moshe knew that he was speaking about the death of the firstborn. Why? Because if you go back to Genesis, when God told Abraham about the Egyptian exiles, he said to him there, I will also judge the nation who enslaved them, which indicated that this, there would be a plague that God would personally handle and this um, tradition was, um, as, as he explained to Abraham, was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Levi to Kahat to Amram and finally down to Moshe. So when Moshe heard these words from Pharaoh, he knew for sure that that this was also going to be this was going to be the last, and that um, God was going to be handling it, and that he also knew. Because God had told Moses 
that Pharaoh would not release the, the Israelites until the killing of the firstborn. Now, very interestingly, if you go look at all ten plagues, right, particularly let's look at it from the context of the Haggadah, the Haggadah being the book that we read on Pesach, and when we come to the section of the plagues, you'll see that we call each plague just by the name of what happened. Dumb, blood, svadea, frogs, kinim, lice, etc. Dumb, svadea, kinim, arov, devish, we, we just call them by boils, blood, locusts. But when it comes to the death of the firstborn, we don't say bechorot. We say makat bechorot, the, pl- the plague of the firstborn, okay? So why is it that, unlike all the others, it's called the plague of, of, of the firstborn, not just the firstborn? Because this plague was going to be the worst of them all, okay? And that is why it says that od nega echad, one more plague, like one is emphasized there, okay? And the, our rabbis teach us that um, God's statement to Moses could be translated as, I have yet to bring the plague of the one upon Parol. Who is the one? Well, if you look back um, into Tanakh, into to our books, and you look at the prophet Yechezkel, Yechezkel says, who's called one? Abraham is called one. So what was he saying? Odnega echad. I'm going to bring the plague of one. What he was saying is, I'm going to bring the plague that God showed to Abraham. What plague did God show to Abraham? He showed him the plague of the death of the firstborn. That's what it was. Okay, so this now is basically God saying that I told Abraham that for 400 years they would be enslaved. I'm personally going to take them out. Here it's coming right now. Now, let's discuss the whole concept of why Hashem is telling Moshe to tell the people that they should go and ask or say that they want to borrow gold and silver. And this was them going and asking the Egyptians if they can borrow gold and silver. Why would they want to borrow it? Like we know at the end of it, the whole story is that in fact, what? They weren't going to be coming back. So how can they say the word borrow? And why do you use the word borrow? And why do they need to ask for gold and silver? Well, there's many, many, many reasons. One is that God promised Abraham that the Jewish people will leave Berchush Gadol with tremendous wealth. And in fact, not only do they take the wealth out of Egypt, but any remnants of the wealth are washed up on the Red Sea when there is the splitting of the sea. The second reason, and we've spoken about this many, many times, you have a people who have been enslaved for 210 years without one brass farthing. This was kind of like now the CCMA case. You owe us back pay. And therefore, there was a legitimate reason for the Jews to now ask for payment um, for their slavery and for all the things that they they had done um, in Egypt. But there is something much bigger than that, because why are you telling them just to ask, one, two, to borrow? So just think about it. If you have been in prison for a very, very long time, and you are offered your freedom, and then you are offered many gifts, 
human psyche would probably be that you would say, just leave, I don't care about the gifts. I just want my freedom. Imagine now that the, the hostages would be given their freedom and they say, oh, do you want to take this? And do you, do you want to take that? They're going to say, you know what? You can have it all. I just, I just, I just want to go. I just want to be free. So there was a reluctance on, on behalf of the Jewish people to take anything. They were so anxious to leave Egypt. They didn't want to be burdened with the treasures of the Egyptians. Okay. And second of all, in their mind, they were thinking, well, what happens if the Egyptians change their mind about freeing, freeing us and they come after us? We don't want to be weighed down by these, these, these heavy treasure chests. Okay. So initially the, the, the Israelites assumed that the only reason God wanted them to take the Egyptian treasures was for their own benefit. But in truth, Later on, you will see that God wants them to go out, not only because he promised that to Paro, not only because legitimately they were owed that money, but they were going to use it and transform all the wealth that they were going to take out um, in order to, to build the Mishkan, which was a dwelling place for God in this world. Okay, and that, that was, that was, that was vitally important. So from the Jewish point of view, um, in order to soften the blow, instead of saying, well, take it because you're not going to be giving it back, what they were saying to, what God was saying to Moses to tell the Jewish people was just borrow it, borrow it for now, and, and that kind of lessened it. On the other side, okay, um, we can ask the question, we can ask the question, if God wanted the Israelites to have the Egyptians' treasures, why didn't he tell Tell them to tell the Egyptians, give it to us. You know, they he, they could have been they could have been uh, threatened with dire punishment. Why did he have to ask the Israelites to borrow it? So it's really because God wanted to punish the Egyptians one more time. And um, what God really wanted to do, once he actually finishes the worst of it all, which is the 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 the, the plague of the death of the firstborn was that he was going to go punish them at, uh, at dr drowning at the Red Sea. Why? Because remember at the end of the day, this is meta connected meta. This is a tooth for a tooth. You did it this way, you're going to get it back. Okay, it's karma. And um, they managed to drown so many Israelite children that the final payment for them enslaving the, the Israelites would be that they would be drowned. Now, if the Jews had come and said, well, can we have it? You owe it to us. And they walked out, and the Egyptians might have thought, well, we don't have to go chase after them. We paid them in full and final settlement. No more further CCMA case. I'm not going after them. But by them very sanely borrowing it, they felt justified that they should go and get it. And that meant that they could arrive at the Dead Sea. And this is where God will then um, punish them one final blow to be meta connected meta one blow for another in drowning them because they drowned so many so 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 many uh, so so many Jews and so what we see in history is that no no deed goes unturned a good deed will always always have reward a bad deed will also and so many times as we have today we are confronted with such terrible evil. And, 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 and barbarism and negativity know that the wheel of justice will turn and everybody will be recompensated for whatever actions they take. 
Now, when we spoke about the concept that God was telling them to, to take stuff because they were going out with great wealth, some of our rabbis go and say this problem of of great wealth actually denotes it spiritual rather than material wealth. And what was the greatest wealth that they were going to walk out with was that they were going to walk um, to Har Sinai and get ready to receive the Torah. So um, the bottom line is, is though there was physical uh, payment for all the slavery that was basically done for free for, for 210 years, the Rechush Gadol, the ultimate wealth that the Jews would have, would in fact be because they would land up having the merit of uh, receiving the Torah. Right, let's look at verse 3. God gave the people status in the eyes of the Egyptians. Moses now becomes highly respected in Egypt, both by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So what we see now is that God influenced the Egyptians' minds so that they started, stopped, so sorry, that they stopped hating the Israelites because of the catastrophes they had suffered. Just the opposite, in fact. Now the Egyptians began to respect the Israelites and they started admitting their guilt. Like how many times can you be hit again and again and again and again until you actually wake up with the fact that, you know, you are you're doing wrong. There's something else talking to you. Okay? Basically, the whole of Egypt and all the people around, even the ministers in Pharaoh's government, saw the great miracles. They now believed that Moshe was God's emissary and they were converted. The only person, and the, the, the verse doesn't mention him, is Paroi. Okay? God had hardened his heart to such an extent that such respects was literally impossible for him. And that's why he continued to insult Moses. He humiliated him twice. And you will see at the end, he eventually falls at his knees and he asks Moses forgiveness. But at this point in time, okay, everybody has kind of like turned the corner and everybody is looking at, at, at Moses, at the Israelites. They've got a newfound um, respect for the Israelites, and quite honestly, I would I would believe, and if you, you read between the lines, um, they didn't want the tenth plague to come upon them. The only person that remained so freaking stubborn, so insistent, was good old Pharaoh. By Yom Moshe, and so this is what Moshe now says to Pharaoh just before he takes leave. He says, Don't "Just get out of here because the next time I see you, I'll chop your head off." So says God, around midnight, I am going to come out in the midst of Egypt. Shall we see that this plague was completely, utterly, categorically handled by God himself? All the firstborn um, in Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, Hayoshe Balkiso, who's sitting on his throne, Ad Bechor Hashifcha, 
all the way down to the the lowly maidservant, her firstborn, Asher Achar Harechayim, that was the the, the 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 slave girl that was behind the millstones, the Chol Behema, and even the firstborn of the animals. So one of the things that people didn't understand, it wasn't just the killing of firstborn human beings, but anything that was firstborn, including anything and everything that we find in um, the animal kingdom. Now, what's very, very interesting um, over here, okay, is that Moses doesn't give an exact time. He says, around midnight. Where truthfully, when we will continue and we will actually look at the actual happenings, it happened on the dot. Ding! The clock struck 12 and Makat Bechorot struck. So why did Moses say around midnight? Why did he say exactly at midnight? Every single word is important. Every nuance um, said is said because there is a reason and there was a reason which we are going to discuss very shortly. If you'd like to ask a question, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is 101.9 Hi FM. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so why around midnight? Well, the answer is, that Moses uh, changed the wording because he was concerned that Paro's astrologers would not calculate the time of midnight precisely. And then there would be this hashash, this question of was the plague somewhat premature or belated? Now, you can ask straight away after that if, if I, that's the truth, that he, he, he didn't want the astrologers maybe to make a mistake and then, you know, if uh, the plague of the firstborn was uh, one minute after 12, they're going to say, see, it's not God. That's why I said around midnight. But the truth of the matter is we know that after the plague of boils, the magicians never appeared again because they realized then that Moses was able to perform true miracles, that with their best efforts, okay, they could could conjure up magic tricks, okay, so how could they ever accuse Moshe of being a liar now when they already already had moved out of the ways? So the truth of the matter is, is that um, Moses still did not want to even have them to have an opportunity to, to come back um, now, okay, um, and change their mind. And say, so, yo, like kind of we were convinced by, by, by the plague of boils. We acquiesced then that he was a miracle worker. But oh, now, oh, look now, you know, he, he's not as good as he is. So he didn't want to spoil that entire paradigm. So he said around midnight. But truth be said, it was exactly on the dong of midnight that Makat Bukharot, the plague of firstborns, um, happened. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is is that we are we are told, um, and this is where we were getting it, that God was revealing Himself to Moshe right there in the palace and spoke to him, even though it was night time. It was the first of Nisan, okay, and it allowed Moshe 
to give a general announcement in the palace and to raise his voice so that everybody could hear them. The slaves heard them, the, the ministers heard them, absolutely everybody could hear him. And he continued and he said, and now we're going to come to a very, very famous passage, There will be a huge scream, there will be an outcry in the entire land of Egypt, you've never seen such a thing before, and you'll never see it again. And for all the Jews, a dog will not even growl to a man or a beast. And you will know, you will see there will be a miraculous distinction between Egypt and Israel. So, um, let's go look at the famous verse, and it's a verse that most most Jewish people know off by heart, because when we are threatened by a dog, and a dog is yapping and, and, and yelling, we're told, say the verse, that amongst the Jews, a dog will not even growl. Why? Because hopefully that will make the dog relax and move away. Where do we get it from? Yeah, from this this time in Egypt. What does this all mean? So basically, what the Torah is teaching us is that that animals, and particularly dogs, but animals in general, have a sixth sense. They see things and hear things and feel things that we humans don't. And certainly when there is a danger they will start barking. Anybody who is a an animal lover, people who own animals, will know that, right? Um, we know for a fact, for example, that when there was that tsunami in Thailand, uh, quite a little while before, all the animals fled. We never heard about the death of 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 of, of animals. Why? Because they knew already. They could sense that something was going to happen, and they fled the scene and they went to higher ground. So, in truth, really, what was going to happen was Hashem was going to come down, the angel of death was going to be felt, and what should have been was that the dogs would start barking. We've actually got precedence of this in the Talmud, where a disciple of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi once saw a dog slinking along a wall, and he was barking and barking and barking, looking as if he was barking at nothing, but... Rabbi Yoda Nasi realized that he must have been barking at something. Okay? The dog looked really frightened. His tail was between his leg and he, he, he had this terrified look on him um, that he could see something that Rabbi Yoda Nasi couldn't. Suddenly a man came along, bumped into the place at which the dog was barking and suddenly the man collapsed dead on the spot. So again, so here was an example of where the dog has a sixth sense. So what is Moses saying? He's saying, look, this Makat Bukharot, this plague of the firstborn, is a night of terror for Egypt. There won't be a home that won't experience death. There will also be confusion amongst the Israelites because they would be preparing to leave the country. What would happen in such a situation normally? The dogs go crazy. They start barking, barking, and barking, and barking, and barking, and barking. But I'm telling you, out of fear and respect for the Israelites, you won't even hear a dog whimper. 
And it's not only going to be dogs that are by themselves, but even packs of dogs, even the, the wild dogs, okay? All dogs will remain silent. There was also one other uh, reference over here, and that is, and we've spoken about this before, that no Jew could ever escape the exile. Why? Because the Egyptians had put wild animals and dogs at the exits of the uh, at the border, and if it and they 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 also cast black magic on them, and if anybody tried to escape Egypt, the dogs would start making a noise and they would sound the alarm, and then every animal would join in. Now, more than everything, they are going to remain perfectly silent. So that is exactly what what was going to happen. Some rabbis going to say this wasn't about the dogs at all, but rather it's actually a marshal. It is actually a metaphor for the Egyptians who can be called dogs. Why do they deserve to be called dogs? Because they initially mocked Moses. They had the audacity to have him ejected from Pharaoh's presence. And so Moses says to them, none of you dogs will dare to raise your voice against an Israelite man or beast. Meaning, your magicians won't be able to say anything more. They will be dying. There will be no home without death. And you guys have acted like animals. And so it actually means nothing more. By the way, our sages say that a person who speaks badly about another, he deserves to be cast to the dogs. Moses completes and says, All these people, meaning all, all, all you, you officials, you will come to me you are going to prostrate uh, before me, Lamor, saying, Leave you and your followers, all of you, after that, I will leave. Moses left, um, Moses left uh, Pharaoh in, in anger. Okay, he was furious with Pharaoh, not for any personal insult because he dared to threaten God's Shaliach, his ambassador, with death if he returned. So his final say with, with Pharaoh was quite frankly <laughs> very dramatic. This is 101.9 Hot FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. One more verse, and we are going to stop there. By Yom Hashem or Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, just to to convince him. Lo Yishma Alechem Paro, Paro will not listen to you. Laman rebot moftai beeretz mitzrayim, so that I will multiply my wonders in the land of Egypt. Okay, now why you would think? Why would Pharaoh like? Managed to harden his heart. You know, he should be, a, should, he should have been terrified about the upcoming plague, uh, up, upcoming plague. But the reason why he um, had hardened his heart was because he figured, well, how many people can really die? Like, how many firstborns are there? Uh, so a couple of hundred. No big deal. What Parrot did not understand was that his society was a corrupt society. It was a society that, 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 um, was immoral, and there were many, many immoral relationships amongst them. And so it could be that a woman gave birth to four children, but there were four different fathers. And so 
that would have fallen into the category of firstborns. So there was going to be much more death than they would have ever, ever anticipated. They did all these wonders before Paro. They said what they said. Hashem, it left Paro. God hardened Paro's heart. He did not let the Israelites leave the land. And so we're at the point now where you can see the stubbornness and the, 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 the absolute hatred to destroy the Jewish people was embedded and they were not going to make any type, well, Paro was not going to make any move forward. Well, we all know the end game, right? Paro was going to be utterly and totally destroyed, and um, we are going to see that hopefully the next time we get together. In the meantime, let me wish you a Shavuot, a wonderful week ahead, a week of victories, of let goodness and kindness um, fall over the entire planet. Um, let the good people stand up, stay moral, stay integrous, stay loving, stay honest. And as always, history always shows us the good will always triumph. So be it. Have a wonderful week ahead.